0: Today, we're in Isaiah chapter 53, Isaiah chapter 53, and I'll be reading the entire chapter. Out of reverence for the reading of God's word, would you rise with me? Isaiah chapter 53, who has believed what he has heard from us and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground Thanks be to God. You may have a seat. Would you bow your heads with me in prayer? Heavenly Father, how many of us get bored of you. How many of us grow tired of the old rugged cross, the message of the gospel, the message of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that we look for new things to entertain us. We hear and listen to prophets who are not prophets at all. We go on social media to learn from people that look like us and less like you. Father, Lord, we pray for this generation. We pray for all who are here today. Lord, that the old message of the gospel, the only message of the gospel of Christ, will stir in our hearts an affection for Christ that reminds us of our first love. Jesus. We thank you. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Brothers and sisters and friends, let me ask you a question. How many of us get bored of things and people very quickly? I remember working at a new restaurant up in Boston during my seminary years, seminary is a school for pastors. And when I worked there, I worked there as a waiter. And we received so many new customers. It was exciting. But lo and behold, uh, maybe a couple months later, uh, there was a new restaurant right across the street from ours. We slowly but surely started to lose customers. And there was this older waiter. And I asked him, why is this happening? And he said, well, we are losing customers probably for a lot of reasons. Their food might be better. Their service might be better. But most likely, it's simply the fact that they're new. And we have become an old shoe. I've seen this before, he said. People are simply excited over new things. But we have nothing to worry about. He said, like all new things, eventually that new restaurant will become another old shoe. Likewise, friends, all of you who are here today... Many of us who are Christian oftentimes fall into this trap, this cycle of the old shoe when we think about the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are oftentimes tempted to tune out when we hear the old message of the cross and resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus. But here is what happens when we grow tired and bored of the gospel we become spiritually tired of God. We become numb to our sins. We become indifferent, apathetic. We slowly stop caring about God's divine purpose and mission for our lives. We live lives that resemble the world, and we return to the empty promises and pleasures of our sins and how do we know if this is us here today let's look back at this past week and try to see if there was any visible fruit of the gospel how many of us have modeled christ and his love in our relationship with others how many of us have loved Christ, Jesus, above the benefits of simply being saved in Jesus Christ? How many of us have deepened in our repentance and prayer? How many of us have grown in our knowledge of God's word? How many of us have submitted to the authority of God, found in his word, even and the word of God seems contrary to the word of this world. Many of us, I would assume, have grown tired, bored, and numb to the gospel of Jesus. We have become tired of God, numb to sin, and indifferent and apathetic to God's mission for our lives. If only there was a way to rekindle our love for God. This is where our passage today, Isaiah chapter 53, comes in. And it is a very important and significant message for all of our friends here today, all of our brothers and sisters here today, as I have done youth ministry for over 10 years. And one of the things that scares me the most is when I look at students and they just don't care. They simply don't care They don't care about the gospel anymore. They don't care about Jesus anymore. They numb their minds with video games, with TikTok, with Instagram. I'm not going to lie. This morning I first came here and I saw all the students who came. And the first thing that I see is not even discussion amongst our friends here today. What I see is people just doing this. We're so addicted to numbing our minds with entertainment, distracting ourselves away from true joy, everlasting joy eternal joy, joy that will make our hearts full. And Isaiah 53 requires us, because it was a long passage, to slow down. This is oftentimes called the fifth gospel, the fifth gospel found in the Old Testament. You know, we have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the gospel accounts, but throughout church history because the gospel of Jesus is so obvious and evident in Isaiah chapter 53, a lot of theologians just consider this as the fifth gospel. And by the way, what is so remarkable about our passage, we're still at the introduction of the sermon here today, folks. I mean, it's just so rich, is that this was written over 700 years before Christ has come. This is real. This is powerful. This is written for all of us here today. And here's the thing. We learn from this passage. That Jesus Christ did not just die for those who have grown tired, bored, numb, and apathetic to God. But for those who hated God. Who loved sin and lived in rebellion against God. And why does God do these things? He does these things. And it only makes sense that he does these things simply because he loves us as his children. One of the things that I, I don't really fully understand, how many of you have dogs? How many of you? How many of you? Raise your hands. It's okay. You should be proud. You got a dog. Okay, good for you. Good for you. All right, awesome. How many of you have taken your dog to the vet? Anybody? Okay, that that was less hands than there were actual dogs. That's bad, right? Um, Anyways, so you guys spend a lot of money on dogs. How many of your dogs have had, like, cancer or something terminal, and you had to take them to the vet, the hospital, and you spent thousands and thousands of dollars on a dog? How many of you guys? Some of you. Some of you. To me, because I only like dogs, I admit, I'm a cold person. I don't love dogs. I don't love animals. Um, I think they, you know, that that requires a lot of money. That's why. Uh, But here's the thing. I like animals. I like the fact that you have animals. I don't like the fact that I would have an animal because I don't love dogs. But here's the thing. In my mind, I'm like, why would you spend so much money on a dog? This is going to sound really harsh, and I'm like kind of nervous that this is going online. But if my dog got sick, I would just let it, you know... You know, that's me. Hey, 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 hey. I'm glad you're a better Christian than me. I'm glad. Good, 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 good. Amen. Hallelujah. But for me, I'm just like, why does that even make sense? Why would you drop so much money on something that's only going to live for a couple more years? It only makes sense that you love the dog, right? (laughs) Some of you are like crying right now. I'm sorry. (laughs) Um, But anyways, likewise, with God. Why would he die for us? Why would he send his only son for us? Is it because we were so amazing? Is it because we were so awesome? Is it because we are so whatever? In our passage today, we will see that his love for us is radical, radically gracious and powerful. And since God so loved us, brothers and sisters and friends, here's the three points for today. Since God so loved us, we should, number one, remember him. Number two, cherish him. And number three, trust him. Remember, cherish, and trust. Are you ready? Here we go. Point number one, remember him. What exactly should we remember about him? Well, in our passage, it tells us that he is righteous, Actually, this whole passage, I, I wish the, you know, the Bible scholars of the day would have included uh, Isaiah chapter 52, starting at verses 13. It's that whole package. So if you want to understand all of chapter 53, you will kind of still have to add 52 there. And in chapter 52, verses 13, it says, "'Behold, my servant shall act wisely.'" He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. This means that he is righteous. It means that he will act in wisdom. He is high and lifted up, and he is exalted. This is not just any servant. This is the Son of God. He is righteous. He is right before God. But number two, starting in our passage today, we also learn that he has the highest authority. Starting in verse 1, it says, Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? The arm of the Lord is mighty and powerful. And if God is described, as, if Jesus is described as the arm of God, it is the power of God. As it says in also Romans chapter 1 verses 16 to 17, that the gospel, the gospel is the power of God. And what is the gospel about? It is about Jesus Christ. And so here, 700 years before Jesus comes, we see that he has the highest authority. But we also learn in Isaiah chapter 53 that he was rejected. He was rejected. It says in verse 3 of our passage, He was despised and rejected by men, men includes women here, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. It means that we did not honor him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. There's a lot of our, me, us, me, I. He bore my sins. He bore my sufferings. He is the suffering servant of God, the suffering Savior. Why is that so important? Because suffering changes everything. It even changed Jesus while he was here on earth. How and in, in what ways did Jesus changed because he is God, 100% God, and God cannot change. He changed in his humanity. He experienced the miseries of this world. Being born in a manger, he experienced the rejection of his own people. He experienced separation for the first time in his life from God the Father at the foot of of the cross and why does he do these things he did it for us and what was our uh, reaction to him we rejected him all three of my kids when they were babies (laughs) i've never felt rejection like that before (laughs) all three of my kids just only chose mommy they felt safe with mommy they loved mommy How she looked, how she smelled, how she touched. Everything, all of life, just came from mommy. Not knowing, honestly, if I wanted to take the baby out of mommy's hand, I so easily could. They should feel safer with me, but... They rejected me. I remember it was very, very dark at night because babies wake up all, all throughout the night. And one of the things that my children would do, all three of them, because they couldn't see in the dark, but they wanted to make sure that it was mommy and not daddy. One of the things that they would do is this. They would reach out into the dark, and then they would do this. Touch my face. And if it felt a little gushy, gushy, you know, if it felt like kind of itchy, you know, they would start screaming in the dark. They didn't want me at all. That was the rejection. Even though I'm working, I'm bringing the paycheck and whatnot, they rejected me. It was painful. I actually had tears in my eyes um, when those things happened. I won't confess anymore, but it was really depressing. But Jesus does far more than pays the bills, gives you the phone. Jesus does more than just give you what you want. He gives you what you never could have apart from Jesus. He gives you not a second chance. He gives you a second life, a life with him, through him, for him. And how does he do that? He suffers for our sake. But not only that, we learn not only that he is righteous, not that not only that he has the highest authority, not that he was only rejected and that he also dies for our sins, but we also learn that he is victorious. Victorious, victorious. And starting in verse 10, it says, yet it was the will of God to crush him. He was put put him to grief. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, verse 11, he shall see and be satisfied. The death, of christ is not defeat of christ no this was the plan of god jesus was not defeated by human beings no jesus submitted to the will of god the father isn't this amazing isn't this amazing 700 years prior to jesus coming into this world isn't that amazing is not that fascinating is that crazy and yet we doubt the word of god He was victorious against what? Victory against what? He was victorious over what formally ruled us, what formally enslaved us, our sins, so that when we are now one with him, we can look at our sins and say no, but more than just say no, It's not just behavior modification. It's a new heart because we can now say no to sin and we tell our sins, I've said yes to Jesus who is far greater, far supreme, far beautiful. And so what do we do? What do we do? Point number two, we cherish him. We cherish him. How should we cherish him? Well, by not doing what Isaiah 53 records. You see, in Isaiah chapter 53, we see that he was despised and rejected by men. He was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men hide their face, he was despised. We did not esteem him. We did not honor him. Even though he bore our griefs, even though he understood our sufferings, even though he took our place, We did not esteem him, honor him, but instead we counted him as among the cursed. How do we do this today? How do we not esteem him today? How do we despise Jesus? How do we reject Jesus today? This is going to be hard to hear for a lot of our students because I know that this is the culture that we live in today. But hear me, hear me, and ponder within your own hearts. This is not an easy sermon. I admit that. But I need you to think with me for a moment. We do this today by not going back to the Word of God, and the Word of God talks about Jesus Christ. We do not go to the Word of God, even though we have the Bible literally in our hands, or we can download the Bible in our phones, etc. But instead, we go to different sources, such as TikTok. TikTok, if you don't know, is that uh, social media platform. And we go there, actually, to learn about Jesus from people that look like you influencers they call them they look like teenagers like yourselves and they sound so smart they sound so wise and you never even ask how do they obtain this wisdom they're just like me and yet they sound like scholars they sound like they're know- knowledgeable more so than the pastors or even our small group leaders and here's the manipulative thing about tiktok they dance These young people, they dance, they have music in the background, they have filters, and then it looks entertaining, and I've seen you guys do the dances and whatever. And then that's fine, that's cute, that's fun, that's great. But what bothers me the most is that after they dance, after the music, after the filters and all of the emotional manipulation of TikTok, they add a quick message at the end saying, oh, believe in this, LGBTQA+, or believe in that, BLM, or whatever. And then they'll judge the Christians or the churches. And then you just buy it wholesale without any... Questions. I've had conversations with our students time and time and again. And it is in virtually so impossible to convince you otherwise that these kids, these teenagers, are literally no better than you, that they don't know more than you, but they do have these software programs. Why do these things happen? Is Jesus so intimidating? that we can't go to Jesus ourselves? Is Jesus so frightful that we cannot trust in him and to have access to him? When we know that Jesus, King Jesus, has died for us, died for you. To take a moment, when we look at him, there was no filter. You know you know what it says in uh, verses, uh, chapter 52 about Jesus? Behold, my servant shall act wisely, he shall be high and lifted up, and he shall be exalted. But then, verses 14, it says, as many were astonished at you. His appearance was so marred beyond human semblance, and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. Chapter 53, verses 2, it says that there was no form or majesty that we should look at him, and no beauty, that we should desire him. This is the opposite of TikTok. Jesus is literally the opposite of TikTok. All of the things that you are so heavily influenced by, without question, thinking, is this really the Jesus who has no filter, who is marred, who has no beauty, no, uh, nothing to really want desire out of? He didn't go to an Ivy League school. He wasn't the richest. He was persecuted. He was chased after ever since he was a baby. This Jesus has nothing to do with the TikToks, the Instagram, the Facebook, the social media. I am deeply offended. I know some of you might be offended, but hear me. I am deeply offended that what is being described of my Lord, my Savior, is being described as, I'm, so, I'm sorry for saying this, as a teenager with filters and music and the sappy, music in the background so that you would believe in it. I mean, it is unbelievable and discouraging that the old message of the gospel is being tuned out for what? Two minutes of some emotional, manipulative, I'm going to just say it, poop. So we cherish him by not doing what Isaiah 53 says. But instead, what do we do? Number one, we go beyond the surface. We go to beauty that goes beyond the filters and software editing. The beauty of our loving, heavenly Father. We go beyond the surface. Number two, we go beyond entertainment And temporary satisfaction. Relationship that goes beyond the superficial influencers to the relationship of the one true and living God. Number three, we go beyond the fads and trends of culture by going to the truth that goes beyond the trends and the fads of culture. Truth that goes to the very heart, ethic, and morals of God. Let me repeat that. We go beyond the surface to beauty that goes beyond the filters and software editing to the beauty of our loving Heavenly Father. We go beyond entertainment and temporary satisfaction to the relationships that go beyond the superficial influencers to the relationship with the one true and living God. Number three, we go beyond the fads and trends of culture to the truths that go beyond the fads and trends of the culture, but to the very heart, ethic, and morals of God. And when we do that, finally, point number three does not become a command, but a direct response. Point number three, we can trust him. We can trust him. Why can we trust him? Why should we trust him? Because he didn't just die. He didn't just suffer. He died and suffered for us, for you, for me, so that we should slow down and pause for a moment and turn our phones off for a moment and just sit in silence before God in awestruck wonder. Imagine if you needed a heart transplant and I gave you my daughter's heart so that you would live and my daughter would die. And then all of a sudden, you show me your phone and whatever is on your Instagram, your social media, and whatever you're posting on, haha, I got a new heart. We do this every day. We do this every week and then we come here on Sunday and we complain about worship or what have you, but we miss the bigger portion that Jesus has died for us. That Jesus has suffered for us and he will be victorious because he does not do these things in vain. He does these things so that you and I They have newness of life. Can I share with you a testimony of this past week for me? When I was studying Isaiah chapter 53, I wrote in my diary, Jesus, forgive me. I was reading Isaiah 53 and I just didn't care. And I knew something was wrong. You're a pastor. I knew something was wrong in my heart. I was reading it. I read it before countless of times, I've memorized it, I've studied it before, nothing. It wasn't beating, not for Jesus. I was on my phone, I was going to Instagram, I was going to all of these social media things. I didn't care, I just wanted to go to the next thing, I was just so busy God. And then I said, this is dangerous. I got on my knees and I was like Lord, I don't care whatever meeting's next, whatever I have to do next, let that fall because something costly has fallen in my life, which is my love for you, my love for you. And so I sat down and I just realized, Lord, you died for me and I need to take my sins seriously. I need to take your promises seriously. I need to walk with you because I love you, not because I want something from you. It didn't take just one minute. It didn't take four minutes. It took the whole day. But I started to weep in my soul. I started to remember my first love, Jesus. I started to remember, man, all my life I'm trying to become something. Many of you are trying to become something so that you can go to these prestigious schools, maybe make six figures, seven figures, whatever job that you want. But then when I look at my Lord and my Savior, He was none of those things. What am I following? Just the patterns of this world. What am I loving? What am I trusting? Everything besides the one who died for me. And so, and so, when we realize that he didn't just suffer, that he didn't just die, but he suffered and died for me personally, I have to do three things. Number one, I must take my sins seriously. And guess what? My heart was numb. I was apathetic. I was indifferent. Because I didn't take the time to actually sit down and go, John, what's wrong with you? Do you even know what he died for? You think that Jesus died because you just had a bad attitude? That you had a bad heart? He died for your heart because it wasn't beating again. All my selfishness, my pride, my ambitions, I have all of that just like you. And here's the thing. You look at me, I'm older than you. You look at me, I'm, I'm your future. I know you think you'll be different, but human is human. Sin is sin. You're going to have bills. You're going to have families, most likely. You're going to have kids. You're going to have all of these things. You're going to have a job. Life will get busy, and you'll forget about Jesus. What is the one thing that we can do just take a moment to pause and think about what he has died for you number two not only do we take sin seriously but we take his promises seriously because we find in jesus the answers to our broken lives we find that jesus has paid for it all and if he has paid for it all we ask ourselves well what did we do for you to pay for all of our sins. And the answer is nothing. For we are the one that rejected him. We are the one that despised him. We are the ones that didn't want anything to do with him. We chose the filters, folks. We chose the emotional music in the background. And the you know, kids just crying over their truths. And not the blood-stained cross of Jesus. So... We take his promises seriously, and we can accept them because he offers it to us by grace. I, your pastor, am nothing before the cross of Christ. That I was saved by grace, and that is all I preach. Number three, we walk with him daily. We know that Jesus died, but he rose again from the dead. 700 years after this passage. Why would he live and walk again? So that he would live in you and walk with you daily. To transform you into true beauty. To possess true truth. And to have substance. So that you can be light and salt in the world and in the communities that you live in today. Brothers and sisters, do not waste your youth. Listen to me. Do not waste your youth. I know you want to be something in the future, but you are something here today. Amen? You, I know you want to be a doctor or a lawyer. Maybe some of you want to be an engineer. Some of you want to be a teacher. Some of you want to do all of these things. That's great. You will be something in the future, but you are something here today. Amen? You are something today. You are a blood-bought child of God today. That means you have the most precious thing, this ever world has ever known and nothing you do in the future can add to the preciousness of jesus christ today so as you go into schools it's not so hard to represent christ this world is getting darker for you to just simply say i go to church on sunday makes you a radical that's ridiculous for those of you who go to the uh pgis pastor sam you guys have that weekly canonia is every other week Uh, Every other Fridays, I mean, the first and third Fridays. You going to those things and you sharing that with your friends is radical enough. You praying before you eat is radical enough. These are just normal things that we can do to showcase our faith. Chick-fil-A does this, folks. How many of you want Chick-fil-A on Sunday? Well, you can't have it. You know, fast food chain is doing this. Can you do this? The answer is yes. Beloved, would you close your eyes with me in prayer? Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you. We will never know the full depth measure of your great love for us. Father God, this sermon was very hard to hear. But Lord, may we not be offended by the idols that we reject but may we be offended by the idols that we accept over you so father lord we pray for a not a better heart not a better attitude not a better mindset but a new heart a new attitude a new mindset redeemed and forged not by the tears of people who look like us with filters and music in the background but lord By Jesus Christ, who cries over us, who has died for us, who was victorious over our sin, shame, guilt, not because we were so lovable, but because he was so loving that the world cannot understand it. We thank you, Father. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Brothers and sisters, that was a hard sermon, but I pray that it blessed your heart that you finally feel, I'd rather have you feel pain than nothing at all. So many of you are numb. So many of you have forgotten your first love. And so, brothers and sisters, would you rise with me and sing songs of praise, shout to the world, declare to the world and to our God that you are alive and alive and well because he is alive and well in you.